I'm Francis Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Our press secretary gave alternative facts to that. My goal in this deposition was to be truthful, but not particularly helpful. Welcome to Unspun, the podcast that makes you better at finding the truth. The way people get news is changing. It used to be that there were many reporters who would research stories and write articles, but now politicians and famous people share information directly with you on social media and the internet. That means you find out things fast, but it's up to you to make sure the information's actually accurate. And newsmakers don't always do their part. The temptation to manipulate information is strong. They bend the truth to deceive so that they can avoid accountability, so that they can advance their agendas. When you recognize these agendas, you can sometimes find out what's real. And we're at a crossroads where anyone can share anything online. So it's important to sharpen your critical thinking skills. Finding that deception before it goes viral is pretty much a survival skill now, and we're gonna do it together. Let's get unspun. Hello, and welcome to this mini episode of Unspun. I'm glad you're here. This week, I wanna tell you about an Aunt Gladys encounter that I had last week. I grew up in a family of travel agents, and as a result, I learned to really enjoy cruises. It's a vacation that doesn't really require a lot of thinking, and I love that, because thinking and planning is pretty much the entire rest of my life. But anyway, last week, the hubs, my kids, my dad, and I all went on a cruise to Mexico. And on one of the days when we were at sea, we decided to have lunch in the seated restaurant. And when you do this for lunch, our group got seated with a couple that we didn't know. Now, usually, I see this as a chance to kind of work out those small talk muscles, and it's interesting to meet people who have a life really different from mine. And this couple, like a lot that you'll find on cruises from Florida, were retired, and they had migrated to the Sunshine State from New York. They had the accent that I grew up with in New England, and he had worked in the media, which is always interesting to me. We can call them Marv and Gladys. Marv didn't get to talk that much. So how do you make small talk with stranger on a cruise? Well, you talk about cruises first, and for Marv and Gladys, like for us, it was the first cruise since the pandemic. Gladys opined that she had been cautious of not wanting to get sick. And then she added that she was not getting any more vaccines because you don't know what they put in them. After all, Big Pharma wants to do is make money. I suppose I could have pointed out her bad logic. It's not a given that making money means that vaccines don't work or will hurt you. And for the record, I'm a big fan of vaccination myself. But I didn't. Instead, I put to use one of my favorite quotes from The Art of War by Chinese philosopher Sun Tzu. If you know the enemy and know yourself, your victory will not stand in doubt. Now, we talked a few episodes ago about how making people feel dumb or presenting them with information that isn't what they already believe probably is not going to make them change their minds. So changing their mind isn't really a useful goal. 
you know, honestly, it's probably just going to make me frustrated. So Sun Tzu says in that quote, and in a bunch more in The Art of War, that you need to start by understanding your enemy. He says that in that way, quote, the opportunity of defeating the enemy is provided by the enemy himself. So, you know, practically speaking, I don't have a whole lot of incentive to try to challenge someone I don't even know in the hopes of making a world a better place or whatever. And your mileage may vary on this, but for me, there's a personal reason as well. I feel like even if people have some ideas I may not agree with, or maybe even do some things I don't like, that doesn't necessarily mean that the whole person is intolerable. You know, there's some clear exceptions to this, of course. I do have some clear boundaries on things that are a no-go. But, you know, for example, I have no interest in hunting. And honestly, I find those flex photos people post with the zebras they paid big bucks to travel to another continent to go kill pretty off-putting. However, just because someone is a hunter doesn't mean I won't have anything to do with them. We can have a conversation, and I can learn about why it's important to them. And I've done that. I've learned about things like family rituals, about the overpopulation of some animals that humans caused, and I've even talked to one guy who liked bow hunting and donated his spoils to a program that provides meat for poor families. Anyway, back to the point. Here we are at lunch. And Gladys, she has a lot of opinions about the cruise we're on. It's too cold everywhere. The food just isn't as good as it used to be. The complaining is getting to be kind of a bummer, so I changed the subject. Where are you from, Gladys? She's from right outside New York City originally, so we mentioned that we had been to New York the last summer. We got to talking about the theater, and she talks about how she and Marv used to be big theater goers. In fact, they saw Hamilton three times. Now, of course, the tickets are highway robberies, she tells me. Marv keeps eating his soup, while Gladys tells me that she won't go to New York now because of, quote, all the immigrants. Ruh-roh. I keep biting my tongue, mentioning that I thought some of the history in Hamilton was new to me, and wasn't that neat, and wasn't that cast talented. The meal continues. We hear about Gladys's teen granddaughter, who apparently has a technology addiction like the one you see on the news. Gladys's daughter is having trouble finding something for the granddaughter to do because she's off a week early because she's in private school because you just can't put a kid in public school today. I briefly consider asking exactly why, but I decide I'm probably better off not. I do mention that my kids have gone to great public schools and how much I appreciate those hardworking teachers. Gladys looks a little shocked, but she lets it go. And desserts here. I ask what kinds of things they do for fun in Florida. Mar volunteers that he does the New York Times crossword every day to keep his mind sharp. Gladys says, I hate the New York Times, but we subscribe so Marv can have his puzzles. Those puzzles are fun, we can agree. We wish Marv and Gladys a happy holiday and my family leaves. And when we're alone, we note that we don't often have conversations with people whose views are so different from ours. But, you know, that's okay. It's important to understand how other people think. As Sun Tzu said, remember, the opportunity of defeating the enemy is provided by the enemy himself. And talking with Gladys actually gave me some insight into how she thinks and maybe even some hope. She's down on shots right now, but she's had them in the past. And, you know, I'm not the kind of doctor who anybody should be asking for advice on health decisions, but I think her actual physician might be able to persuade her. That attitude on immigration kind of makes me cringe. But the watching of a musical that literally has a song called Immigrants, We Get the Job Done maybe will make Gladys think at some point. Up against the news that she sees that talks about pharma and kids in their phones, it might not win, but maybe it will. And thank you, Marvin, your puzzles. Gladys may say she hates the Times, but she still subscribes and reads it, and that is not nothing. I need to take a quick break, 
but when I come back, I'll have a few tips from communication studies on how to talk with the Aunt Gladys in your life. Welcome back. When I was a kid in small town Connecticut, our town was so small that it was governed by what they called town meeting. If you ever saw Gilmore Girls, they did show this. Uh, basically, there's a selected administrator type person who we called a selectman in Connecticut, and they moderate a discussion among all the people in town about whatever's going to get done about matters of community interest. You know, things like police or parks or trash or whatever. And as a kid, all I knew was that my parents went to the high school gym once a month and you could listen on the radio and it sounded like grown-ups yelling at each other. This idea of everyone coming and bringing their ideas only works in a place with a small number of people. But it also increases the possibility of hearing everyone's points of view. And these meetings were a model for an early type of constructive listening called a deliberative dialogue. We use these at my work at a university as a way of having constructive conversations with people who may have a lot of different and varied opinions. Having a group do a deliberative dialogue is building on a long history in the U.S. of people talking together about issues. These kinds of public discussions have been happening since the 1600s when there were colonial town meetings. And the idea is that with, you know, careful moderation, regular people can share their opinions in a democratic way. And when we say deliberative dialogue, we mean people with different views sitting down face to face to talk to each other. They're weighing different ideas and perspectives about something they all care about. And in some deliberative dialogues, people start by sharing their own personal experience with the issue. And over time, they look at other angles, too. They may end up agreeing. They may not. But the goal is to understand the complicated ins and outs of the problem and for everybody to share their own opinion. And this idea is different from some other ways that people voice ideas. So, for example, public opinion polls and surveys try to capture what most people think about something. But honestly, they're usually just getting reactions in the moment. Maybe they're vague or confused or emotional. At public meetings and hearings, it's often the same vocal local people, leaders and advocates. And that's different from a deliberative dialogue, where ideally you get all kinds of community members, including people who don't usually speak up. Instead of responding to expert presentations, people are exchanging their perspectives themselves in a safe space. They're not there just to be heard or to listen, but to kind of think together. And then, you know, in debates, the goal is to win by finding flaws in the other side, countering their points, and proving yourself right. People listen for weaknesses and not for understanding. But in a deliberative dialogue, people listen to each other and find common ground. They use an open mind to try to weigh different views and evaluate their own assumptions. Sometimes they even change their minds. The end goal isn't proving something, but reaching new shared solutions. And some people say that deliberative dialogues lead to better informed opinions, better defined problems, an understanding of a whole different variety of solutions, and sometimes even setting public priorities. You're probably not going to be using a deliberative dialogue at your holiday dinner table, but you can use some of the ideas from them in your conversations with Aunt Gladys or other people in your life. Remember that the conversation is not a debate where folks argue their point. The idea is to really understand the issue, maybe to see what values you share with the person you're talking to. And in a friendly way, you might catch things they're missing and learn about things you might be missing. You can share real-life stories like I did about my kids going to public school, and you can listen to stories from Gladys. It's about folks with different perspectives listening and working together, not just attacking each other's ideas. Your bigger goal is to get that fuller picture of the complicated problem, not just to argue that one side is right. 
Because even if you are right, you still need to understand what the other person is talking about. So how do you do this? One thing that can be interesting to try is what we'd call perspective taking. It's basically considering an issue from someone else's point of view. So for example, thinking, why would Aunt Gladys have such a bias against public schools? Dr. David Livermore is an international communication expert, and he has a list of questions you can ask yourself to think about your own ability to perspective take. Here are some of them. If you were giving someone directions to a restaurant, would you change the way that you explain the directions based on whether the person is from out of town or a local? If you're telling a story, do you tell it differently based on the audience? You know, for example, would you give more details for some people? Would you eliminate some references to things people wouldn't know about or would know about? If you're providing instructions on how to do something, do you pay attention to how much the other people already know about the task? Do you over-explain even though they provide cues that they understand? Or do you use terms that leave them confused? If someone asks where you live, would you give the same response to someone from the other side of the world as you would to someone from your own region? You know, would you say Grand Rapids, Michigan versus in the central part of the U.S. near Chicago? For a little more advanced perspective taking, you could maybe identify an issue you feel strongly about, like climate change or politics. To what degree could you offer a coherent argument that represents the opposite of your perspective? Before you can start perspective taking, though, you have to find out more about other people's perspectives in the first place. So here are three tips for how to talk to people that you disagree with. Tip one is to avoid leading questions. A leading question is one that has the right answer embedded right in the question. Here's an example. A leading question might be, you know, with all the religious conflicts in the world, don't you think it would be better if everyone just stopped believing in religion altogether? This question assumes that all religions are inherently harmful and ignores any positive role that religion could pay in someone's life or in their community. And also dismisses the possibility that different faiths could peacefully coexist. When you ask a question this way of a person who is religious, they're really likely to feel attacked just because of the way you worded the question. So here's a way to ask that question more neutrally. I'm curious to learn more about different religious perspectives. Can you tell me about the role religion plays in your life? Remember that the goal of asking questions is to gain understanding and to learn from others, not to manipulate their opinions or force them to agree with you. If you can phrase your questions in a neutral and open-ended way, you can encourage a more productive and respectful conversation. Tip two is to ask questions that are open-ended. So these are questions that don't have just a fixed set of answers but require some nuance. Here's an example of a closed-ended question. Are you a Democrat or a Republican? When you ask this question, you're giving the person you're talking to a very limited set of potential responses and there's not much of a chance to learn about their actual views with that kind of one-word answer. But even worse than that, there's a real danger here, because you might fill in your own idea of what Democrats believe or what Republicans believe and assume that the person you're talking to believes these things based on just that one word. So maybe, for example, they're a Democrat because they want to promote gender and racial equality, but they also live in a rural area and love hunting and support Second Amendment rights. Or maybe they're a Republican because they believe in small government, but they live in a city and they believe in gun control. With such a limited question, you miss a lot of chances to learn about what the person actually thinks. So a better question would be, what issues are most important to you in the current political climate? Or what do you think about the size of government? Tip three is to listen and to follow up. And this is what we call active listening. 
Active listening is a way of communicating that goes beyond simply hearing the words that someone says to engage with the speaker, trying to understand not just what they say, but also the emotions, the experiences, and the values behind why they said it. Here's an example of how active listening might play out with someone who believes vaccines are a good idea. Someone says, I wouldn't dream of not vaccinating my kids. Vaccines are one of the greatest achievements of modern medicine. As an active listener, you could show how you are interested in paying attention by saying, that's interesting. Can you tell me more about why you feel so strongly about vaccinations? You could also choose to ask a clarifying question like, oh, have you had any personal experiences that solidified your belief in vaccines? You could try to paraphrase to make sure that you're understanding them by saying something like, so it sounds like you believe that vaccines are essential because they prevent serious illnesses. And you can acknowledge their feelings by saying something similar to, I understand that some people have concerns about vaccines, but it sounds like you feel pretty confident in their benefits. Again, you don't have to agree with them, but it does help you to understand where they are coming from. So wrapping up this episode, think of it this way. Just as Sun Tzu encouraged you to know your enemy in battle, we've uncovered some secrets to navigating disagreements. You have to start with understanding. Remember those three tips, asking open-ended questions, active listening, and steering clear of those leading questions. They're not just tactics, they're keys to help unlock understanding and maybe bridge the divide between you and Gladys. So as we gear up for a new year and approach an upcoming presidential election here in the U.S., the battlefield of ideas is going to be buzzing. But instead of wielding weapons, we can arm ourselves with empathy and curiosity. It just works better. So before diving into debates, take a beat. Consider Sun Tzu's wisdom. Seek to understand deeply before you try to change minds. And when you do it, you might just find some common ground that paves the way ahead. Or at least maybe you don't have to dread dinner with Aunt Gladys quite so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for getting Unspun with me this week. Unspun is a production of me, Amanda Sturgill, and is a proud member of the MSW Media family of podcasts. Send me your thoughts and ideas about trickery in the news on Gmail at theunspunpodcast at gmail.com. I even write back. And find this episode's show notes and more information at theunspunpodcast.substack.com. Want to learn more and get smarter? Check out my book, Detecting Deception, Tools to Fight Fake News, which is available on Amazon or your favorite online bookseller. And until next time, stay sharp, everyone.